Hey, welcome back. This is Dan Blewett. This is episode 32 of Dear Baseball Gods. Christmas edition, I guess. But so last week I took a week off. Uh, it's just so tough cramming everything in these last two weeks before the, the new year starts. And once the new year gets going, I mean, we're slammed in our, our academy here at Warbird. And uh, I have two speaking gigs in January, one at the Illinois High School Baseball Association. They're a sort of annual baseball clinic. And then I'm speaking the week thereafter at the ASMI Injuries in Baseball Clinic. So that's out in, in Birmingham, Alabama. So pretty excited for those two opportunities coming up. And uh, I'm also getting extremely close to my course launch. So if you're on my email list, you'll hear about that pretty soon. And if you're not, feel free to sign up on my website. Um, I have uh, a bunch of helpful guides that you can download for free in exchange for signing up. Um, I always want to make sure I give you something great of value. And then when I, you do hear from me, I'm not a I'm not a huge email guy, but I'll send out you know one or two a week and make sure I give you something very positive to follow up with, whether it's a good article that I've written, new podcast episode, something else I found on the web, good books, something like that. But you're always going to get good content from me if you uh, end up being one of my subscribers. So today, uh, my topic is actually an extension of my course because I'm... I'm down to like my last three presentations, I think. And if I work fast today, I might be able to finish it today. But uh, there's about 82 videos in my Ace of the Staff course, which is my full how to pitch course, basically. So it's for higher level players. It's not for young kids. It's for guys that want to make it to college baseball and beyond, guys who are already in pro baseball who want to make it deeper, and really high level uh, high school kids. So we're going to go over one of the the, uh, the modules today. This is uh, just a lecture on adversity. So I have uh, five or six or seven different workflows, just about things that a, a pitcher is going to face when he's out there on the mound. And then obviously you have positive ways or negative ways to approach anything in life. But one of the biggest things that I think can derail a lot of young players, whether they're pitcher, hitter, it doesn't matter what sport, is how they respond to adversity. So when they have a game where they're not feeling their best, can they still dig deep? Can they do well? Um, if someone's watching them, like a scout, even a, just a, a, a girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever, um, how do they respond to that when there's more pressure, there's more expectations, they're trying to do well? You know, they just make it tougher on themselves. So we're going to start here with, uh, well, this is, again, pitching specific, but we'll start with, say you gave a cheap hit. So number one, you're going to give up millions of these in your career. Cheap hits come and go. There's just a, a really vast amount of luck. So on the positive flow of this, you can say, all right, they happen. Screw it. And I'm going to make a good next pitch. Um, and But what a lot of players do is they get frustrated. They get disappointed. If they're younger, you know, you'll see their shoulders slump. They'll get sad. They'll get disappointed because they're not going to pitch well. Now they're giving up runs. It's a very woe is me kind of thing. But what this all leads you to being is distracted and unfocused because ultimately our goals our, our goal as a pitcher is to make one good pitch. If you can make one good pitch, you just do that on this one. And then on the next pitch, you make one good pitch. And then thereafter, you make one good pitch. It's just that one pitch mindset. And uh, if you just continue to make one good pitch at a time, you'll string together consistently good outings. But when you get distracted, you get unfocused, you get emotional on the mound, whether it's anger, or frustration, or disappointment, that clouds your judgment of what you should throw next. You might still be dwelling on it, and you might make a, make a poor next pitch. So 
the best thing to do, obviously, is just to flush it, to understand that for every cheap hit you give up, there's a line drive that goes in your mitt, right? Uh, you just can't control where batted balls end up. And, it, you know, if the, the problem, I think, just ends up being that pitchers, they look too myopically. I don't know if myopically is a word, but myopic is a word, where they're too nearsighted. You know, so if you're only focused on every time you get screwed, then, yeah, it'll seem like you always get screwed. But, you know, in the course of a game, there's going to be hard-hit ground balls that go right at the shortstop that could easily have been a hit if they were just four feet to the left or five feet to the right. You didn't control that. It just happened to go to his glove. And you pat yourself on the back for inducing a double play that, you know, you maybe you threw a good sequence of pitches that made it highly likely that he would hit a ground ball. But, honestly, you can't really induce double plays, you know. But if you're trying to develop a strategy to induce more double plays – then perhaps that strategy would involve pitching a certain way. So that makes sense. But to say that you induced a double play, it's kind of misleading. So anyway, when you give up cheap hits, it's, got, it's just got to be this move on, they happen, and just remind yourself of how many times you give up a hard hit ball that becomes an out for you. Uh, another big one is when you're not 100%. So if you're an Instagram follower of mine, you probably would have seen this past week amongst – my infrequent postings. I just can't handle Instagram. I don't, I try, I just don't take photos of my life. And even though I'm in my baseball academy all day, I just don't feel like I have tons of relevant photos to like comment on. I tried really hard about six or seven months ago and I still try to keep it going, but I just, Instagram is just not my platform. But anyway, I posted a slide from my course, which uh, said what self-handicapping is. So self-handicapping in a nutshell is when you make an excuse prior to trying something or doing something so that when you fail at it, you can just go back to that excuse, right? So you show up, uh, you know, for a race and you're like, man, my ankle's just been killing me. And you just make sure you just kind of walk around, make sure everyone knows that your ankle's been killing me or killing you. So then when you don't race well, you get smoked by someone else who's faster than you you know, you can blame it on your ankle, right? That's, and it's extremely uncommon, or it's extremely common in all sports, unfortunately, even with really good athletes. You'll see them do this, and you're just like, dude, shut up. Like, I, I don't care if your arm's hurting. Just go out there and pitch. That's your job, right? That's my job. Like, both of our jobs are the same. No one gives a, no one cares if your arm's bothering you. Like, everyone's arm's bothering them. Every outfielder's got swollen ankles or hurting knees or whatever. Like, everyone's hurting. Let's all just shut up about it. So, Anyway, when you're not 100%, you can be positive with your self-talk and remind yourself that maybe your 80% is as good as your opponent's 100%, which very well could be true. Uh, you got to remind yourself that you can still do this, and you have to remind yourself that your team needs you. It's not, it's not just about you. It's a bigger thing than that. It's, it's that you have a job to do, and you should take pride in doing it, rain or shine, 100% or 80%. And like I said, realistically, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say every – Every pitcher is probably who's not on the disabled list is probably at 85% on a good day, meaning that, yeah, they probably throw with most of their same velocity. So from a velocity standpoint, you're usually close to 100%, but just the way your arm feels, the way a certain pitch, you know, if you have four pitches, they all might be, one might be 70% that day, one might be 80%, one might be filthy and be 100%. But for all them to show up exactly where they want or where you want them, you know, maybe your command is like, 75% one day and you walk up with your guys or one day it's 96% and you're just like dotting the ball. 
there's just a sliding meter of every ability that you have on every single given day. And the better you are at preparing like a pro and having a consistent routine, then the more you start to stabilize those numbers. Like you always, you're not going from 50% to 90% to 40% to 30, you know, you're not fluctuating as much. But realistically, you're always going to have fluctuations and you're never going to take them out 100%. That's just like not a realistic thing. So your 100% is really just your 80%. So at the end of the day, learning to be positive about that, learning to be tough about it is imperative. So, but guys do this still. They go, oh, I'm not myself. And, you know, they, they have negative self-talk where they're asking, you know, do they have enough or can they get through this? You know, maybe their teammate will bail them out. They're already looking for a way out. They're already looking for an exit before they even get in the door. So when you're not 100%, you just need to remind yourself and be positive about it and just try to dig deep for a way to get better. You know, one of my, my mentors explained to me that out of every, if you broke up your career into four outing chunks, in one of those four, you'll have your best stuff and you'll go out there and it'll be easy for you to dominate and you'll win that start every time. And then conversely, there'll be one start where you just kind of suck. Maybe you can't command the ball well, all, you know, a couple of your breaking balls or off-speed pitches aren't very good. You don't feel good. You just feel terrible. You know, just in general, everything sucks and you suck and you're going to lose that game. But the other two are the days where you just feel okay. Maybe your curveball is good, but your changeup's not. Maybe your slider is good, but your changeup's not. Maybe your changeup is good, but your curveball's not there. Maybe your command is just okay. Maybe you're down a tick or two velocity-wise. Maybe your arm just feels like not great. You know, maybe your arm feels really bad, but your stuff is still kind of good. There's all these different ways where you can just be kind of like have okay stuff, like the 85% stuff. And then uh, the question is, can you bear down and win those two games? If you can, then you win three out of four. If you're a 750 pitcher, you know, you go 15 and five on a season. Well, that's not 750. Um, wait, is that three out of four? Yeah, whatever. So, you know, the point is, you're going to win more than you lose. But guys who make excuses, who can't pitch like that, they end up going one and three, you know, so they win one out of four. So that's really just the crucial, the crux of it, where can you dig deep? Can you have enough mental toughness to basically just win with whatever you have? So just imagine you're, you're a carpenter and you're showing up at a job site and it's super far away and you forget, you know, one of your saws and your power drill or something. Can you still have a productive day at work? You know, you could do other things that maybe don't require those tools, or maybe you can rig up a different tool to do the job that you need to do. Or maybe you just get creative and find some new use or just some better use of your time that day. You know, just because you don't have your full toolbox doesn't mean you can't still be productive and get the job done. Uh, the next one on my list here is that is scouts watching. So this is obviously not an adversarial um, situation, but it becomes one because you start to get all these exciting, positive potential consequences, which are if I pitch well today, maybe I get my chance. Maybe I get drafted. Maybe the scout offers me a scholarship. You know, maybe the big league club promotes me. You know, the GM's here to watch or the, the uh, coordinator's here to watch, whatever. You want to impress those people, and so you put more consequences on yourself. You, put, you make the stakes higher than they need to be, and you try to do more than you are capable of doing. I mean, the reality of the situation is that when any person shows up to scout you, to look at you, 
They did that because of the body of work that you've created already. So what you did, what you did in the past has brought them here. So if they heard that this guy can do X, Y, and Z, and that's why they've chosen to come see you and take time out of their day and not look at other players that day, it's because they believe that X, Y, and Z will be good enough for their organization. So all you have to do is just be yourself. And ultimately, the only way you're going to get anywhere is by being yourself. Like you're not going to be able to be someone else and masquerade around as this guy that can do all these crazy things when they're really just maybe a fluke or maybe that's just a little bit beyond your skill set. Like you have to ultimately live and die by who brung you, you know, dance with you, who brung you, which is yourself. So if you just remind yourself, look, he's here because of me, not here because of me plus 10%, not here because of me plus a slightly nastier slider. He's here because of me. He wants to see me do my thing. So just do your thing. But when guys start to think that, you know, what they've done isn't enough, that they need to be extra perfect, that they need to make their curveball break even sharper, you know, their slider even tighter, that's when they get into control or out of control because you can't pitch that way. You can't make – it's an inverse relationship. When you try to make your stuff better than it already is, it just gets worse because you start to tense up and you, you put your intentions between this fluid, high-speed motion that's impossible to do anyway except in a – relaxed state so you have to you have to be mentally unfettered to really pitch well okay next one I have had a string of bad outings so if you've had a string of bad outings it's very easy to find yourself in this position where oh my gosh like what if I blow this again so I'll tell you a story I had this um, in 2015 I was having my best season and I was our setup guy and in July of both 14 and 15 I hit this slump of like two weeks, maybe two weeks and change, where I just like couldn't, I wasn't myself, I couldn't get guys out, I wasn't pitching well. It's almost like everyone got on to me and they figured out what I did and uh, they just started to like, they had a better plan like starting the second half of the season. So I had to adapt, but there were some growing pains but before I sort of like kind of tweaked the way I was pitching a little bit. I didn't change a whole lot, I just sort of made little adjustments, but uh, for that two-week period, it just, like, seemed like every time I went out there, I just, like, got hit hard and blew the lead or just, like, made things messier, and it's it, it weighs on you. So once it becomes a pattern where it's deep enough where you're definitely slumping, it's hard to get out of it. So I remember one at one point, my team was – that whole season, my team was not good at scoring runs, and that wasn't pointing the finger at them. It just was a fact. And so the, the seven, eight, and nine-inning guys, and I was the eighth-inning guy – our job was tough because we only pitched with basically a one-run lead almost the entire year. So it was two to one. It was one to nothing. It was three to two. It was very rarely do we have much cushion more than one run. And, you know, as the eighth inning guy, you have an interesting role because the closer doesn't pitch in tie games unless uh, you're on the uh, – let me think. I'm drawing a blank at the moment. But the closer will pitch um, tie games when you're at home because – no. Man, I'm having a mental, I'm having a moment. Um, anyway, we'll just move on from that because I'm having an Alzheimer's moment. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the setup man typically pitches the tie game so that the closer can still be saved to finish it out when you're on the road. So um, I was pitching, and uh, I think two consecutive times. I came in one day with the, in the ninth inning, and got walked off on, and then another day in the 10th inning and got walked off on. So I got walked off two times in a row, two consecutive outings. I lost the game for my team. 
And at that point, it was just like the icing on a really crappy tasting cake. And I uh, was just running through my head. I'm like, oh, my God, what if this happens a third time? Like, they're going to throw me back out there. Like, I haven't lost my role yet, so I'm going to go back out there. What if it's a tie ball game again? And I blow three straight games. Like, what happens then? Do I just, they just tell me to go home? Do I just kill myself? Like, what, what happens here? Um, so I was freaking out about it inside a little bit. I, I mean, I was going to pitch. Like, I knew it was going to happen. I was just going to have to get through it. But at the same time, I was not looking forward to it because what if I blew three games in a row? And uh, I think it was like one day off in between. So it was like three games in a four-day four span, maybe five-day span. But it was enough where, you know, your control gets a little bit shakier every time you go out, if, whether it's back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back days or back-to-back -back days with a day rest. Every day you go back-to-back, -back, your command gets a little bit crappier because your arm's a little tired. So I went out there the first time, the first one of these three, three games that I blew, the first time um, – I feel like I threw the ball pretty well. They just, like, got a couple of hits on pretty good pitches and just beat me. Like, okay, uh, it's going to happen. Second time, I felt mostly the same. Like, I felt like I made some good pitches. Um, and generally, like, didn't throw the ball that bad, but I got bad results, blew another game, made a really dumb pitch call. And then um, I went out the third time, and I had no command. I threw the ball like absolute garbage. <laughs> I, like, didn't know where it was going. And I was scared of blowing another game. And uh, I got three, just three flyouts. You know, just fell behind pretty much every hitter. Um, just sucked. You know, if I had to rate my performance in the two games that I blew, I would say that I threw the ball reasonably well. And then in the game that I got out of, which was game number three, the one that I was really scared about, um, I threw the ball horrible. Couldn't throw anything for a strike. Didn't know where the ball was going, really. It just was junk. And that's just sort of how baseball is. So um, I remember just having to ride that out, that whole slump and those three games within that one. But it was tough. It was tough to say that this string is going to get better at some point. You don't see the end of slumps. They just are open-ended, and they end when they want to end, and they end when you adapt. Or maybe you don't need to adapt. Maybe you just need to ride it out. But it's tough to try not to, to try harder, to try not to be perfect, to try not to fixate on the fact that you could get released or whatever. Um, it's just tough. But, you know, s reminding yourself that you're still in control, that sometimes you get unlucky and that everyone slumps and that you just have to just continue to be yourself and do your best and it'll fix itself. You know, that's, that's how it goes. So next one, this jam will make or break me. So when you find yourself in a jam, there's basically one way to get out of it. And I remember um, in 2015, I was pitching in against Southern Maryland in Southern Maryland. I was the eighth inning guy, so I got to pitch the ninth inning of a tie ball game, so the bottom of the ninth. And I um, fell behind Owen, or fell behind one and L. And then I threw the next pitch on the outer half down, and the guy golfed it, almost went out. And uh, hit at the deepest part of the ballpark. Guy who's super fast, who I played with the following year. He was uh, played for Long Island next year when I played there. Um, he smashed it and let off the inning with a triple. So here I was, uh, run expectancy, or well, not run expectancy, but run probability, runner on third, no outs, scores 86% of the time. 
So 8.5 out of 10 times in this situation, the game ends and you lose. So, yeah. So as a pitcher, you have no illusions because you know that you can't control where the ball really goes. You try to, but you can't. So you know that I could pitch this guy really, this next hitter really well, and he could just still flare one in the outfield and score this guy, you know, sack fly or whatever. Um, so obviously the infield's in. And so here I was with the winning run on third, and I had to dig myself out. And I was pretty familiar with this team. I'd faced them a bunch of times my second year in that same league, and um, I knew the couple hitters who were coming up. And it's really scary because you feel like I've got to get this about started, and I've got to strike this guy out essentially. Um, but between here and the third strike are two other strikes that I have to get, and if I throw it over the plate and try to get those strikes, he could hit it into the outfield anytime, and the game's over. So you just like take this deep breath, and you just it just sucks. It's like you're it's like you're diving into a into a room with like a tiger, and it's like pitch black, and you don't know where that tiger is. That's a really stupid analogy, but we're gonna go with it. Um, and so I just like took a deep breath, and I'm like, all right, I have two bases open, so I'm definitely not throwing this ball over the way of the plate. So I'm gonna just pound the outside corner right now on this first pitch until I get a strike, and then I'm gonna pound him inside until I get to my second strike. And then I'm going to try to strike this guy out until either I strike him out or I walk him. That was my plan. So first pitch, I just throw as hard as I can on the black of the plate. And I get strike one. Uh, I think he takes it. And I really don't remember the pitch by pitch uh, for the next couple hitters. But I, that was my plan for pretty much all of them. Just try to get away. Uh, maybe may they foul that first pitch off anyway. So I get to strike one. I go inside, I get to strike two, and now I've got two strikes on this guy. I've, I have to, absolutely have to strike him out now that I've gotten to two strikes. And um, I go up the ladder, just a little bit above the letters, and I get my strike out. So, great, I've got one out now. Now, I, if I get one more out, now they can't sack fly me to death. Now the sack fly will not do it. They will need a base hit to score this guy. So, the next guy, I start in the same way, I think he fouls off the first pitch, and now I've got him. So once I start that first pitch and I get my strike, now he's screwed because I can walk him still. There's two bases open. None of those bases matter. The only matter, the run that matters is the one on third. So he gets pitches too far in that he can't do anything with that are going to jam him. He can either take him for a ball or he can swing at him and foul him off or whatever, jam himself. So I keep throwing him inside. I get to two strikes. So now I've got him to two strikes again. I've got this next guy to two strikes. Now, all I've got to do is punch this guy out, and I've got to two outs, and now this, the situation is much less grave. You only score from third with two outs, I think like 25% of the time. So I bounce a couple curveballs, go up the ladder with a fastball, strike him out, something like that. I don't know. I know, I know both these two strikeouts are on high fastballs. So I get to two strikeouts. This is all very exciting. My team is getting pumped. They think that now I'm going to get out of this. And I think now I'm going to get out of this. So the next hitter just got one more. Now the outfield you know, goes back to the regular positions. The infield is no longer in. The other team is feeling very sad that they're going to blow this pretty much sure thing. And I kind of start the same game plan. Um, and I get ahead, and I get the two strikes. And then I go inside on this guy, and I throw a ball that almost hits him in the bill of his cap, and he swings, and he hits it just over my first baseman's head. It almost lands in the dirt, and it falls, and it scores a winning run. 
So at this point, there's two, two morals to the story. Number one, going back to cheap hits, this is an extremely cheap hit. However, if I hadn't given up a leadoff triple, it wouldn't have been a very big friggin' deal at all, right? So it's, again, you can push the blame to, oh, I got screwed, that was BS, this was unlucky, like, I always have the worst luck, you know, blame other people, but, bro, just don't give up leadoff triples, and then, you know, that won't happen. Uh, and then number two, you can't strike everybody out. Number three, it was a very fluky, crazy hit. Like, I thought the pitch was going to be – I thought he was going to take it because I thought it was going to hit him in the face almost. And somehow he swung, and somehow we got enough wood on it to hit it just over the first baseman's head, like directly over his head where it was like an awkward angle for him to, like, sprint, run, like run straight back and get to it. So it was strange, but the whole situation was – I almost got out of it because I went one pitch at a time. So I knew it was scary. I had to throw one pitch to get ahead because I had to get eventually to strike out the first guy. You can't control where he's going to hit the ball. So my best bet is trying to manufacture a strikeout. So I took it one pitch at a time. And with every pitch, I got more confident that I could get to the next pitch, to the next strike. And then when I got to the next strike, then I could get that out. Then when I got one out, I only needed one more out to have two outs, because then I only needed one more out to have three outs. It was just one step at a time. And really, I, I did, I'm did. i going to pat myself on the back. I did a great job, except I shouldn't have given up the damn lazy three-bagger uh, you know, three bagger to start the inning, because I just kind of like tossed one in there and really probably should have focused a little bit harder on making that pitch a little bit better. It was kind of like a get-me-over fastball when I was 1-0, thinking that, yeah, you know, starting the inning, Bases are, bases are empty. This guy's not a real big power threat, but, you know, I gave, gave him a cookie. So, anyway, that's how you get out of jams. You go one pitch at a time, one out at a time. You try to kind of have a plan, but once you have a plan, you have to enact it one shovel full at a time to dig yourself out. Okay, um, get a couple more here. So, say you disagree with your role on the team or your playing time. This is one that gets players pretty frustrated and flustered because everyone thinks they're great. Um, I think I'm great. I think I should pitch all the innings, uh, but I'm not. So why aren't I, coach? Coach, why is that other guy playing? Coach, coach, why are you putting the other guy in there? Coach, put me in, coach. So when this happens, um, so for parents out there, don't ever call your college coach, your son's college coach, and talk to him about playing time. If you've done that before, don't ever do that again. Um, you're making your child into a child, not making him into a man. Um, and even for kids, if you don't like your playing time, uh, your parents should stay out of it. They should encourage you to talk to your coach like a grown-up and ask them for honest feedback. And when you do have that conversation, you should use the word what instead of the word why. Why am I not playing? Why are you playing this guy instead of me? Why, why, why is all about you? And it's a very defensive word. When you ask someone, why did you do that? They, they immediately get defensive to defend why they did the thing that they did. But when you say, what were you trying to accomplish when you did this? Or what were you trying, what were you thinking when you acted this way? Or what's, what is a reason that maybe I'm not getting as much playing time as I can? What doesn't make people defensive? What is more answer seeking. So if you sit down with your coach and say, what can I do to get in the game? I'm not exactly sure why 
I don't play as much as I should, as I think I should. Um, but I'm interested in hearing, you know, what you see and, uh, you know, and, and what I can do to maybe get on the playing field more. You know, I'm not sure why I'm a, a reliever, not a starter. Or I'm not sure I'm a starter when I would think I'd probably be better as a reliever. Or I'm not sure what I can work on to hopefully earn more playing time. So what versus why I think is very important. Because having these conversations is not easy because you're asking someone to tell you something that you probably don't want to hear. You know, why am I not good enough? So, or what, what am I not good enough at? So anyway, you have to have that talk eventually. Um, people that are close to you are not going to be honest with you. And this is a, well, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, so make the most of your chances. That's the other thing that you can do. Um, in 2014, I had a four ERA for the whole season. That was what I finished with. And I barely got invited back. And that's just a kind of mediocre ERA where, especially as a reliever, you know, you're going to get like a middle relief role. And that's what I was slated for as I started that next season. And, uh, but with roles, it's never set in stone. So my goal that winter was to get better, like I always did, and come back and be the closer for that team eventually. Now, that didn't happen because we had a great closer the previous year, had a great season, and he had another great season in 2015. But I climbed the ranks and became our team's setup man because I pitched well. And that was the only thing in my control. I knew I was going to get mop-up innings to start the year. You know, I was pitching like the fifth or sixth inning. But every time I went out there, I kind of mowed guys down, and coach was like, man, like, you know, he's doing really well. We can trust him in tougher situations. So they did. And then I did the same thing when I was in better situations. And then it, I just kind of kept rising up the ranks as I pitched well. And that's all that you can do. When you get your chances, can you capitalize on them? If you don't, then just understand that you're going to stay put where you are or maybe go down on the depth chart. You know, there's nothing else you can do about that. Certainly there's some times where you play for a coach who just like sees something in you that maybe isn't realistic in a negative way. Like he thinks you stink, but you don't. That does happen, but usually it's not the case. Usually these guys who are always jumping ship, going to a different school, doing this or that, um, it's something more of them maybe than the coach. And then lastly, you just work harder. So if you, know, if, you don't, if you don't like it, play better. And if you don't like it, work harder. And that's kind of the unfortunate reality of it. But a lot of guys, they'll complain about it. They'll pick at their teammates. They'll become a cancer in the clubhouse. They'll blame other people, other, other outside factors. And they'll just try to bring others down to their level. And that's unfortunately a quality of, of losers. So we get two more here. One, my pitches is not working. One of my pitches is not working. Very common. This is very similar to the 100% thing. So you're not going to take them out 100% every time. The question is, how do you fix it in practice? Um, so if you practice the right way, which is focusing on every single ball that leaves your hand, every single throw that you make, then you should have a good idea of how to make your slider slide when it's not sliding, how to make your curveball curve when it's not curving right, how to make your changeup more changeup-y when it's not very changeup-y. Um, all those things are important that when you understand yourself in practice, when you play catch, when you play flat ground, when you play, play bullpen, what am I saying right now? When you play catch, <laughs> I sound like an idiot. <laughs> when, you say, when you play catch, when you have a flat ground, when you throw a bullpen, you should be 100% focused on having the perfect fastball leave your hand every single time. And when it doesn't, there should be a little trigger that flows around your brain that says, all right, that fastball was a little off. What was off about it? This was off. How do I make that not off? 
I do this. Okay. Then you try to do the next one. That was, that is the process that every pitcher has to have. And most of them do not. I did not have that until I was probably 25. And then even then it took a couple years to hone and I, it got better because I watched guys around me play catch and have flat grounds and have bullpens with a level of focus that clearly indicated to me that that's what they were doing. Like they were just locked in to every throw that they made. So you have to trust that it'll be there. You have to trust even when it's not that it'll be there and you have to try to find places to throw it. So say your slider is just junky today. Well, all right, there's two outs, no one on, and the eight hitters up. Throw them some junky sliders and see if you get one to break a little bit better. Like throw a couple in a non-threatening situation and see if you can get it to improve. That's important stuff. Um, and then some days you just it just won't be there no matter what you do. You might have to just say, all right, well, let's go to my changeup today because my curveball is not great. It's why you have three pitches. It's why having a third pitch is important because it just gives you a, an extra tool, an extra safeguard, you know? It's like carrying a second hammer in case your hammer breaks if you're a carpenter, you know? Analogies, analogies. So, um, but when you start to go, oh man, I don't know, I don't, I'm not myself when I don't have my slider. I don't know how to pitch when I don't have my slider. If you don't know how to pitch without one of your pitches or you don't know how to pitch when you're not your best, again, most days you're not gonna have your best, so it's gonna be tough. And it's not the pitch. It's not like you, you show up and your slider is another person that has to meet you in the parking lot at, this, at 9 a.m. You know, it's not like, oh, hey, guys, like, make sure you're, you're there at game time. Um, slider, don't be late. Don't, don't show up in the third. It's you. It's you. It's not the pitch. It's you. So if you, the slider's not there, it's because it, you suck, not because the slider just showed up late. So it's on your own. It's you. It's your own damn fault. Fix it yourself. And uh, if you don't have a method for fixing it, then there's a problem with your practice habits. And there's a, practice, there's a problem with your focus and your process. Okay, so last one, you're throwing well, but you keep getting bad results. So why might you get bad results? Number one, good things to say to yourself. I can't control luck. I still believe what I'm doing. I still believe there are better days ahead of me, but also what can I do better? So again, when you get into one of those slumps, sometimes you just have to ask yourself what might be going wrong or what's not going wrong. Sometimes there isn't something going wrong. Sometimes it's just a really kind of unlucky patch and you need to fix whatever's going on. Um, you know, you have to you have to be introspective, and all, a lot of times just you have to talk to your, your other players, you have to talk to the other pitchers, you have to talk to the catcher, talk to your coach. Figure out maybe there's something you're missing. You know, there often is. They're watching, but especially when you get higher up, they're not going to tell you how to do your job. You know, the, the coach's role isn't necessarily to get on you every moment. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's tough to uh, it's tough to know when to write the ship, and sometimes you won't have a clear reason why you're not pitching well. But others might. They might say, "Yeah, man, like when you get into trouble, you you seem to ease off your slider." Um, you know, they they might see stuff like that, but they're not readily just gonna like walk up to you and tell you it. So you have to reach out to others a little bit. Just remember that you can't control bad luck streaks, which will happen sometimes, and you have to still believe in in what you're doing. That that what you've been doing got you there. And that, uh, you know, just kind of dance with who brung you. So, but again, if you start to blame your hitters or your fielders, they're independent of you. They're hopefully going to do their job. Sometimes they don't, but you can do your job independent of how well they do theirs. Um, 
you know, when you just start blaming luck in a negative way, you know, I have the worst luck, it's tough, it just makes it worse on you. You just need to stay focused on yourself and things that you can control rather than just sort of running around saying that everything's bullshit, no one's helping me, you know, this is everyone else's fault and not mine. So again, kind of a theme. If you don't like it, play better. And if you haven't listened to that episode of my podcast with my friend Kevin Vance, who's the pitching coach for the University of Rhode Island, it's a, a very good episode where we just talk about accountability uh, in pitching. You know, if you don't like it, play better is a common, it's a common, very loved statement that sort of, I think, exists mostly in, in pro baseball because there's so many, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of things involved in how much money you get, what round you were drafted in, um, you know, just different people might like or not like you or see a future with you or not. There's just a lot more things out there to maybe screw you, you know. But at the end of the day, if you don't like how things are going, just play better, you know. Yeah, oh, maybe you have a four ERA and you have to stay put. Another guy has a four ERA and he gets uh, promoted, you know there might be a very valid reason for him going up instead of you, but you can't control that. And if you'd had a 2.5 ERA instead of a four, um, maybe you get promoted and he doesn't, you know? So if you'd played a little better, maybe you'd uh, like the outcome better. So again, the whole idea of if you don't like it, play better is something amazing just to live by in general. You know, you can always control some percentage of the outcome in anything you do you control your own choices and how you present yourself and your professionalism your preparation your routine you know whether it's baseball or just your nine to five job it doesn't matter so no matter what having that don't i don't like it if i don't like it i should play better attitude is a very positive one to have it goes for cheap hits it goes for times you struggle for times you feel like you're treated unfairly it's valid in many, many different situations. So if you don't like it, I suggest sucking it up and trying to play better. <laughs> so anyway, hope you enjoyed this uh, Christmas edition podcast that had absolutely no Christmas theme whatsoever, um, which is fantastic. Uh, but have a wonderful holiday season. And if you're listening to this in the future, have a wonderful whatever time of year you're listening to this. I hope you have a wonderful June afternoon or whatever. This was Dear Baseball Guides.